So this morning we have no music. It's going to be a little bit more chill because we want to barbecue with one another. So if you are a child, you're going to go out for about, uh, do your own thing for about 15, 20 minutes. And then we're all going to join you over there and we're going to do a barbecue. Uh, but before then, we as adults are just going to do some talking and then, um, and then we'll have the barbecue together. All right. So if you are a ward kid, Church of the Ward kid, you're welcome to leave now. Um, love one another well, serve one another well, love your leaders well. to. No, in fact, we can actually find ourselves 
in the midst of this and part of this larger grand story. So I just want to tell you God's story. I want to shape it into why then Jesus is important and why then our lives on this earth right now are important and why there is the problem of evil and why there are other things that go on in our world and shape that into the context of God's grander story so you and I, uh, maybe, when we're in conversations with people, can say, hey, this is what this is really all about and this is what this is all about. I was in a high school religions class um, a couple of weeks ago, and I get the privilege to do that uh, every year now, it seems, in a religions class at uh, Center Wellington in Fergus. Um, and I went there this year, and as always, when I walk into a room, um, people are always a bit finding it quite odd that I'm a pastor. Uh, the tattoos probably throw them off a little bit. The age of myself probably throws them off a bit. Uh, but what was really, really neat is that I was, I was able, actually able to walk this this high school class through God's story, really speak about Jesus continually. And uh, it was a pretty cool thing because there were people at the end that had all these questions about Jesus, all these questions about the Christian faith. And it was really just a cool opportunity for me to do that. So I'm just going to pray quickly, and then I'm going to tell you God's story. And then um, that's all I really want to do today. So again, for those of us that maybe want like a bit of like a, a structure to what the Bible is, this will help you today, okay? <laughs> Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you that we can be here. Jesus, I pray that you would give me the words to say. May this be clear. May these be uh, available to each of us to understand. And God, may we desire you and may we understand who you are and what you're doing. We pray all the things, things in your name. Amen. It's hard to us for us to really wrap our minds around this concept, but forever and ever ago, there wasn't anything, right? For you and I, we know things, we know space, we know time, we know seven days a week, 24 hours a day. And so for you and I to wrap our minds around infinity, forever, beginning, before time, it's really, really hard for us to kind of visualize or understand that. But God is a being that has forever, eternally existed. He never had a beginning as we understand beginnings. Like our life started when we, um, as we as Christians believe, when uh, your mother and father got together, had a good time, boom, God created Right? That's what we believe life starts at conception. We very much believe that. So you and I know a bit of a beginning, but for, so it's a little hard to wrap our minds around a forever being. But God is a being that has forever, eternally existed. And this is prior to creation. God existed with his angels and they were praising and enjoying God and his godness. Perfect, beautiful, majestic. When I try to think about the majesty of God or the greatness of God, I think about maybe the, the most scary but most visually stimulating thing I've ever seen. And, and for me, that's the coast of California, driving from San Francisco down the Pacific Coast Highway, ending off at Laguna Beach. And you drive, I've never been like a nature guy. Some of us maybe feel like, I experience God when I go outside and it's beautiful. Uh, and that's good for you. I'm glad. Uh, it actually says in the Bible that the, that the skies and the world actually magnifies the greatness of God. But for me, when I go outside, I'm just like, it's outside right now. But when we were driving, <laughs> when we were driving along the Pacific Coast Highway, I was just blown away. And Andre laughs because prior to that, I was traveling was kind of like, eh, traveling is an okay thing to do. I'm fine where I live. I'm fine with what I'm doing. But after driving Pacific Coast Highway, like I literally said, as we were driving down that highway, we've got to travel. We've got to see this stuff. God's created this amazing beauty. And she was probably blown away. She's like, this is so not that. But I'm driving down and there are a couple of turns where you go around the corner and literally it's like a shelf 
down the other side, and at any point, if you take the wrong turn, you're gonna die. So it's a bit of a, it's a bit of that like that that fear of oh my goodness, this is huge, this is amazing. I've, I've had similar experiences driving in uh, Mexico when we've gone to visit Andrea's dad again, just these cliffs, or even. Some of us have maybe been in the CN Tower and kind of stood over the glass floor. And for some of us, it's like, no big deal. For me, I'm like, I'm a bit scared of heights. So standing up there looking down is a, is a bit fear. But it's kind of this awe of, this is amazing. This is incredible. And so imagine prior to everything, prior to the creation of the world, there is just God in his perfection, in his glory, in his majesty. And then there's rebellion of Satan and his angels. They don't want to worship. They don't want to glorify God. They want to go do things their own way. And so what God says is, I'm sorry, but you can't do that in my presence. Remember, big, majestic, glorious. You can't rebel against me. And because God is ultimately holy and perfect, he can't stand rebellion or sinfulness in his presence. And so he casts Satan and his angels away down to the earth. Well, then God decides to do something rather, I think, ridiculous when you think about it, because he's perfect and beautiful, forever existent, forever eternally existent. He says, no, I'm going to create human beings. I'm going to create an earth. I'm going to create planets. I'm going to create the solar system. I'm going to create this beautiful thing, and I'm going to create human beings. And so God goes and creates. He separates his the, the, the expanse of the sky from the expanse of the ground, the waters. He, he creates the solar system. He creates plants. He creates vegetation. He creates animals, mammals, both those things in the water and those things out of the water. He creates. And there is much uh, debate around how that all worked, but God started it all. We'll start there, and that's what we believe. God started it all. We can have debates about that, but God started the whole thing. I said that in that class that morning. I was like, we can debate, but there's still confusion in the science side of where those things all kind of came from and started. But God started it. He got the ball rolled. And so then God creates, and he then creates Adam. And the creation of Adam is unlike anything else. God says, I'm going to create something in our image, which is one of the first references to the Trinity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, our. God is plural, Trinitarian. He creates Adam in our image. We are different from our dogs. We are different from the birds. We are unlike anything else. We have souls. We have Beings, We can comprehend and understand. We can create. As God created us, we believe that because he created us, we can also create things. And so God creates Adam. And then Adam is lonely, as we talked about a few weeks ago when we were talking about marriage. And so God creates Eve. And they see each other for the very first time. And Adam finally goes, she's the one. Like, love at first sight, immediate. She is not like the lions, not like the bears. She's kind of like me, but sexy. And God creates this Eve for Adam. So we have Adam and Eve, and they're living in this beautiful paradise, this beautiful garden. Two naked people loving each other perfectly in a garden. All of us as married folk are probably like, man, that is so unlike my life today. Right? Like, and that, this is true. We desire to get back there. We desire because we all, in this sense, know there's something wrong. And so God created Adam and Eve in this perfect paradise this perfection, everything was working as he had planned. And he says to them, you may eat of any tree of the garden but this one, the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat of that tree, everything will change. Death will come. So what this means is that prior to the fall, the great disruption, as some have called it, what that meant was we were in essence supposed to live forever. We were not to die. We are supposed to live in this perfect harmony and union with God in this perfect paradise. But then as some of us know the story, the fall happened. 
where Satan shows up in the form of a serpent and says to Adam and Eve and tempts them and says, if you eat of this tree, you will know things. God is holding out on you. If you eat of this, you will be like God. Notice how God already said, I'm making you in my image. So they were already created. They already had an identity in the image of God. But Satan tempts them and says, I'll give you this new identity, which you notice across the board when it comes to our sin, oftentimes we're trying to create our own identities. We're trying to do something to give ourselves credit or give ourselves glory when God's already given us our identity. So Adam and Eve sin, and everything changes. What God set out as perfect, everything has changed. Everything now that we experience, the pain that we see in the world, the brokenness we see in the world, the problems of health that we see in our world, is all a result of that moment when Eve and Adam, Adam and his passiveness, and Eve and her desire to eat of this fruit and giving it to Adam, everything has changed. Uh, I think I think about this this brokenness even in, even in light of, of, of food right. There's a lot of conversations, especially in wealth these days, about nutrition. Oh, you've got to eat organic, or uh, what that even means now, because now there's like different phases of organic. But like this whole thing, like there's brokenness in that. From the moment that you have your first breath to the moment that you uh, from the moment you have your first breath, you are beginning on this cycle of I am eventually going to die. And for many of us, it's in different ways. How are we going to die? But all of this brokenness that we see, the, the culture of abuse, the culture of abandonment, the culture of, of sickness, the culture of death and dying is all a result of that one place. Now, at this point, God could have said, because of my holy imperfection, I'm separating you from me and I'm forever. Listen, I set it up that you would live this way. You haven't, so peace out. I'm going to go be God. You guys can, can really just continue doing your sinfulness thing and I'm just going to avoid you. But God doesn't. And this is what shows us the missionary heart of God. That God's not done. That God is about redoring, uh, redeeming and restoring that which is broken. And so what we then, the story kind of continues. You read about Noah. You read about the Tower of Babel. And then you land on a man named Abraham. And God shows up and speaks to Abraham and says, Abraham, through you, I am going to bless all of the nations of the earth. Through you eventually will be my son Jesus. I'm not giving up on you. I'm not leaving. I'm still going to pursue you. And so God promises this to Abraham. And so then we have the story of Abraham, Isaac, his son Jacob, this nation that God has chosen for himself, the Israelite nation. And so what the Old Testament is really about is this Israelite people and God's continuing pursuit of them. Because guess what? Even though God shows up to Abraham and says, I'm going to bless you, uh, bless the world through you and your sons and then their sons and their sons and their sons, they still mess up. They still do bad things. And eventually the Israelites say, we want to have a king like all of the other nations around us. And God says, guys, a king's going to mean slavery. A king is going to mean uh, taxation like us now, right? We just had this, uh, <laughs> the politics of what just happened, just happened. And we're kind of living in light of that now. And prior to that with, the Israelites, God in essence said, if you go the, the way of having a government aside from me, you're going to have taxation, you're going to have like unequal rights, you're going to have this, 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 I'm going to take your men from you so they can be part of this army. It's not going to be good. And then these kings that then the people of Israel have end up being really sinful and bad and they worship gods that people created. They don't worship the one true God. And then these kings are so bad that God says, I've got to teach you guys, in essence, a lesson. And so I'm going to send in other nations that will take you into captivity. And so the Israelites go through captivity. And then you read 
the, the books like Jeremiah and Isaiah about these prophets coming and saying, Israelites, live in the way that God intended for you to live, but they continue to live in disobedience. But then in the middle of that, Jeremiah and Isaiah and these other prophets start talking about there will be a king who will come that will be like any of your other kings. He will, in fact, set you free from the captivity that you were experiencing. And so the Israelite people, this chosen nation, even though they're in exile and captivity, start, real, start thinking, when is this king going to come? And then there's this 400 years of silence between the Old Testament and New Testament. Now, believe it or not, there are men that actually came that said, I am that Messiah, I am that Savior. And so they would try to like overthrow the government and they would always fail. And so then what we have is this king named Jesus that arrives on the scene that is unlike any other king. So some of us know the Christmas story, right? Virgin Mary, Jesus arrives, Emmanuel, God is with us. A lot of times when we talk about Jesus, we only start there. But the story of Jesus starts at the very beginning in creation. But Jesus comes and he starts talking about how he is this king. And now he is spreading this news of the gospel, this good news. And Jesus shows for you and for me what life is supposed to be like back at the beginning when he's healing people, when he's loving people that are unlovable, when he's setting people free from their captivities of their emotions, of their sinfulness. And then Jesus in that, he shows us what it is like to truly live in light of that. And then Jesus dies, taking the sin upon himself and then comes back to life. And then after Jesus, everything changes. Everything changes because people were so impacted by the message of Jesus, by who Jesus was, that this revolution starts, which is now the church. You and I have now been affected by Jesus because after Jesus, he had these followers that were so passionate about who Jesus was and is and who he said he was and is. And they started this thing that we now call the church that you and I are wrapped up in. And then at the end of Revelation, we read that at one day Jesus will return and bring everything back to right. That everything will be perfect again. That it's like going back to Genesis 1 and 2. Everything will be like back then. That right now you and I live in this time of the in-between and not yet. Where we know of the presence of Jesus, where we have the Holy Spirit inside of us and we know of how good he is, but yet there is this point where we still wrestle with things, we still struggle with things, we still experience the pain of things, we still experience things like cancer, we experience things like tumors, we experience pain, brokenness, we watch the news and there's almost nothing ever good on the news. Mental illness, death, all of these things, the result of that brokenness. But we as Christians don't live in light of we're defeated. We live in light of Christ defeated sin and death. And so one day he's going to reign victorious. See, all of us in that sense need a king. A lot of people put their hope and trust in what the government can suggest. And a lot of people did that this week. And we'll do that. This person has the best platform. They're going to save our, our province. No human being or government will ever save our province. It's impossible. No platform is going to save our province. This whole thing is broken and messed up. And while there's some good in the way that it can be run, in essence, it's all broken. And so what we know, though, as Christians, is that we don't, in essence, serve our prime minister as much as we sit under his leadership. We don't, in essence, serve our uh, provincial leader. We sit under King Jesus, who has already defeated 
the brokenness of the world. And so we live in this land, in this time, in our lives now, looking forward to what he is going to do one day. Understanding the hope that he gives you and me in our lives today. And so this whole Jesus thing is more than just this plan of salvation, this life that I look forward to. It's actually about us partnering with him to help fix what is broken in this world. This is why Church of the Lord exists. We do not exist in and of ourselves to sit in a circle and sing kumbaya and just pray for one another just here. We exist so that on mornings like today, we can be reminded of who God is and who Jesus is. And then we go out empowered by the Holy Spirit, who's God inside of us, to help redeem and restore what is broken in the world. There's something within us now as Christians, when you become a Christian, that changes. It's no longer just about you and how to fix your own life. It's how can I participate in helping what is broken around me get better? And our world is filled with activism and not-for-profit organizations that are out there on the ground helping people. And this is all a part of what God has called us to. You see, he has saved us from something, this life of brokenness, this, this life of deprivation. He saved us this life of hope where we can participate with him in the saving of this world. That we don't live as people defeated, we actually live as people that have been enabled to love others well, to care for others well. And the Bible is really about that. It's about God pursuing his people continuously. He never stops. At any point, he could have said, well, guys, because I'm holy and perfect, because you guys continue to mess up, peace out, I've tried with you, I'm done now. He says, no, I'm coming back. I'm going to come get you. You're not just going to be left to your own devices. I'm going to save you and fix you. I'm going to restore you. So for any of us that have ever experienced the pain and brokenness of this world, whether it be health, whether it be through abuse done to us, whether it be through anything else, you have the hope to know that Jesus will win, that justice will be done, and that he is our hope and plan for the saving of the entire world. So for some of us, this was maybe a new story. For others of us, it's an old story. But what we must remember is that Jesus, when he came, he said, I'm going to speak the gospel. And it's more than just this little section here. Like if Jesus, the only thing, if the only importance about Jesus was the fact that he died on the cross, why didn't he just show up as a baby, get killed, come back to life as an infant, and then go back to be with his father? In essence, right? No, Jesus exemplifies for us what the story of Jesus is, how to walk with him, how to be like him, how to love others well. He sets up for us this kingdom that is like any, unlike any other kingdom we've ever experienced. And you and I, as followers of Jesus, get to experience that and walk with him in that. This is why when you and I are talking with people who are experiencing incredible brokenness, we can say, did you know that God exactly actually wants to fix what's broken in your life? Because a lot of people have this negative view of God. He's just... You know, if, 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 problem, if evil exists, then God must not exist. So let's take God out of the picture. Let's say, yeah, there is no God. Atheists are still, struck, still stuck with the point of, well, evil exists, so why does evil exist? Right? Remove God from the scenario. Evil still is existing. It's like people that say, politics and religion, it's the worst thing ever to hit our world. Okay, take politics and religion out of it. I guarantee you, there'll still be issues. It's just the thing that we can blame right now. And so whenever I meet with someone who's struggling or wrestling with something, I say, right now you've decided to blame God 
Let's instead blame the brokenness. Let's blame the evil. Because God is as angry as you are about the evil and brokenness. He is. It breaks his heart. He cries. He weeps with us. As I've said before, we can't know God unless we know Jesus. Jesus said this. You can't know the Father unless you know me. Jesus wept when his friend Lazarus died. Jesus had compassion for people. He had continued compassion. So Jesus, if this is God, then God has compassion for you and for me. But God is also just. And God is also perfect. And so rebellion cannot be in his presence. And that, so that's why Jesus needed to make a way for us. So this is the grand story, the God story that is the Bible. This is what we as Christians hold on to as, oh man, right now I experience the pain, but I am looking forward to the day when there will be no more. And where I can live in this life knowing that I'm empowered by Jesus to do this life. And to not have to worry about all these other things. Because he's here loving me, caring for me, providing for me. He's with me. He is the father to the fatherless. He loves you so incredibly much. And we at Church of the War are all about participating in this kingdom of Jesus that he came to set up. Living as he showed us to live. Anything Jesus did, we can do by the power of the Holy Spirit. So that's all for this morning. I just really wanted to tell that story. Um, for some of us, again, it might be like, oh, that's a bit of review. For others of us, it's like, oh, that's what the Bible's all about. So at any point when you pick up the Bible, you're really landing in just a part of that story. When you read the Psalms, you're reading about King David, who was part of that kingship. If you go a little bit further, you land in Ezekiel. You're reading about when Israel was in exile. You go a little bit further, you go into John. Oh, the story of Jesus. You go into Acts. This is life post-Jesus. You go anywhere. It's all part of that great big story. And if you would like, if you're like, Matt, you talked a lot there. If you have something that kind of breaks it down into something a lot smaller, I do have a resource that's a lot smaller. It's two pages, breaks down the story, and uh, hopefully that would be of use and helpful to you. We're going to like quit this now. We're going to enjoy one another. Part of the joy of being the church, Jesus gathered uh, with his disciples regularly. They ate. And so one of the reasons we are really into Jesus is because Jesus was always up for a free meal. Jesus loved eating with people. Like almost every page as you read through the story of Jesus, he's eating with people. And so we just believe that one of the regular practices of the church needs to be eating together. I was part of churches growing up and into my teenage and then beginning of my adult life, and we never ate together. And I was continually reading the story of Jesus going, Oh, and Jesus ate with Zacchaeus. Oh, and Jesus ate, whoa, Jesus ate a lot. Oh, my goodness. They actually said of Jesus, they actually said of Jesus that he was a, a drunkard and a glutton. The, the opposition to Jesus said he's a drunkard and a glutton. So, I don't know. I just think that as the pastor of this thing, I think it's important that we be a church that eats together because Jesus ate a lot. So, um, and we all need to eat lunch today anyway, so we might as well eat together, right? So, uh, happy Father's Day to you that are fathers. Thank you for being awesome, shining examples. Um, there are so many absent men in this world, and we want to be a culture at Church of the Ward that challenges fathers to step up and be the men that God called and created them to be. Uh, a lot of guys are sitting at home these days playing video games, defeating nations when they have a nation in our world that they're called to defeat with the power of Jesus. And so we're all about men stepping up to be awesome men and uh, loving people well. And uh, right now we are going to be starting the process of of having other men within this congregation step up in the role of elders and say we will uh, 
be responsible for putting ourselves on the line for the spiritual health of the church of the Lord and guiding and directing and being good examples of what it means to be a godly man, husband, and leader. So you can be praying for us in the process of doing that. But let's uh, take some time now. I'm just going to close this off in prayer. I think Nick's already started barbecuing. Um, so we can all just head over there and love your kids and let's have a good day together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time together. I thank you for this incredible story that we're a part of. I thank you, Jesus, that you've empowered us. God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, I pray that we would love well. God, I pray that on this journey of difficulty, of pain and brokenness, Jesus, that we would put our hope and trust in you. There's no kingdom, there's no government in this world that will ever, ever suffice, God. Or fix things, God. We pray for uh, the liberal government now in our province. We pray, God, that you would give them wisdom as they lead. God, I uh, am fairly indifferent towards the different platforms, but God, in Romans 13, you tell us to submit to our governing authorities. So this morning I submit to them. I pray, God, that they would seek uh, the greatest good for the people. And God, may we love them well. We thank you, Jesus, that you are greater than. Uh, Kathleen Wynn, we thank you that you're greater than our government. We thank you that you reign in a kingdom that will be forever, that will never fail. We thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.